concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, when you you paint a picture here of what's going on, this was the celebration of what is called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was one of the feasts. There are seven feast days in the Old Testament that the children of Israel were were called to... go through and, and acknowledge and celebrate those feast days. There's a whole lot to those feast days in Leviticus 23. It talks about each one of them. Uh, and, and here's the thing. There are, here's where we're going to go. You probably had to take a few notes. So they were all gathered in Jerusalem. It was a, it was when the Jews would all, it would be packed. I mean, it would be thousands and thousands of Jews here. They would be gathered at the temple on this last and what it says, a great day of the feast. In the feast days, Leviticus chapter 23, seven feast days, that is, that is the prophetic calendar. It sums up the entire ministry of, of Jesus and it is also prophetic of his, his first ministry when he came the first time. And when he's coming again, there are four feast days in the spring. Uh, the first one is going to be Passover, which represents the time of Jesus' death. It was his, his ministry was perfectly in line with the dates of these feast days. He became that Passover lamb who died for the sins of the people so that we could go free. The second feast day is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I don't have time to go into all of these. Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was uh, a picture of his burial, the burying of our sins in the body of Christ. The third one was the Feast of First Fruits, his resurrection. And then the fourth spring feast was the Feast of Pentecost, which was the outgiving or outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Then you have the time of summer. That is the time period that, that we are in at this point in time as the church where we are laboring in the summer. We're in the fields laboring. The fall feast, there's three fall feasts. Those feasts are a picture of the, the harvest. This is the return of Christ starting with the Feast of Trumpets. Then you have the Feast of Atonement, which is the time period in which um, it, repre- it represents a, a judgment based upon what Christ has done. And it will be the seven-year uh, time of tribulation. And then you come to this feast that they were celebrating here, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, And the Feast of Tabernacles uh, is the last feast. It's a picture of the millennial reign of Christ. It's also called the Feast of Ingathering. Okay? So when God's people be gathered together and, and with the Lord. <clears throat> and so in, what I want to tell you all that for is... That the Feast of Tabernacles is directly connected to the millennial reign. If you don't know that, I know we got a lot of people who, who are unchurched and that kind of stuff, so I want to be detailed for you. Uh, Christ is coming again. He's going to return, the Bible says, in a cloud. Going to be the resurrection and rapture of the saints. And, and he's going to set up his millennial reign, a thousand-year rule and reign on this earth. His throne will be in Jerusalem at the millennial temple. There will be a new temple built. talks about that. David's teaching that in the book of Ezekiel in his Sunday school class if you want to get details on that but this is so so the ceremonies of each one of these feasts uh it 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 teaches them it was for the purpose to teach them basically this so that they would recognize jesus as the messiah everything that god has done in the scripture is to bring people to the place to recognize jesus is the messiah the savior so that you will believe on him so that you'll be saved And, and so everything to do with that god wants to save you if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. I'm not talking about some 
goofy religion. I'm talking about a relationship with your creator who loved you and died for you on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sin and have a relationship in the life that God created you to have that sin has robbed you of. That's what salvation is. That's what Christ wants for you no matter where you're at, what you've done, how deep you are in sin. Jesus wants to, loves to, desires to save you. It's the, it's the message he cries out of the scripture. And so, so in this, it says on the last day, <clears throat> signifying this, when you look at the feast days, y'all don't lose me, I'm, I gotta give you this. When you look at the feast days, this was a week long feast. It started on the Jewish Sabbath, which would have been a Saturday, okay? Sunday's not the Sabbath. Saturday was the Sabbath. Okay, under the law. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. Okay, all that changed. So, so under the Sabbath, it would have went from one Sabbath to the next. And so anytime the Bible says on the eighth day, you need to pay attention because it's a reference to Sunday morning. What happened on the eighth day? Jesus was in the grave on the Sabbath. Okay. Because we are dead to the law. He paid for our sins. On the eighth day was the day of his resurrection. So everything in this feast that is promised through what he's saying here is based upon the resurrection of Jesus. That's why it was the great day. And in this feast, if you'll study it out, this this day was the day it says that the people were commanded to to be rejoicing. And I did a little bit of study on that um, back in the day. They said it was so ecstatic, so much joy that that you, if you've never seen it, you don't even know what joy is. The people would just be rejoicing and praising and shouting to the Lord during this time that this ceremony is going on. And that's, say, why does God do these things in ceremonies? Ceremonies, all ceremonies are, are basically something that we do outwardly or vocally that is presenting a message beyond what the actual thing is. For instance, your wedding ceremony, the vows you took, if you just said it to say it, you you missed the point. You understand what I'm saying? Everything with the bride wearing white, and all that ties into the Bible, actually, of the purity of the bride, and and, and all the different things that you go through. And each little thing, the candlelight, and the sand pouring, and all that stuff, us men go, whatever she wants, you know. We're going to blend the sand together. Well, if that's the only thing that blends, you missed the message should be blending of two lives becoming one and so any any ceremony in the bible you know baptism is a ceremony it's a it it should teach you a message that if you miss the point it don't matter how much you get wet baptism is a picture of christ baptizing you in a watery grave immersed in the holy spirit raising you to life you're a new creation or new creature because you put your faith and trust in jesus the old man is dead the new man is raised to life by the power of the holy spirit everything done there represents what christ has done and will do for those who believe on him so if you didn't get it in the heart and all you did was get it in the water you didn't get it and the point of these feast days was God set up all these ceremonies. He went through a very detailed uh, ceremony so that the Jews would get the message. The problem was they missed the message. They missed the Messiah. And so when you look at that, um, <clears throat> part of this ceremony, what would have been taking place on this day? The priests, they would all be gathered in the temple, okay? And the priests would be, would come up to the altar. Now remember, the altar in the Old Testament represents the cross of Jesus Christ. They would bring vessels of water. How big? I don't know. Maybe this big, maybe there's a bunch of, maybe there's a 55 gallon barrel, whatever they cover, carry. But they would come and all the people would gather and they would be rejoicing and they would pour the water out. 
And it would come from the base of the altar and it would flow down into the courtyard, however much it was. And the people would be shouting for glory and all that. And say, what in the world, you know, was they doing? Back in, this goes back to Ezekiel chapter 47. And Ezekiel chapter 47 is a description. Stay with me because I'm going to make a point of all this information. Ezekiel 47 is the teaching of the millennial temple that will be set up, okay? And in the millennial temple, the Bible talks about there and it talks about in Revelation 22, where the throne will be. God will, Jesus will rule and reign from there in the throne, picture of the holy holies. And out of that, the Bible says, a river will flow from the throne of God. That's going to be physically fulfilled, flowing all the way down into the Dead Sea, refreshing the waters of the Dead Sea and all that it talks about there. But it's also, prior to that, prophecies have a... A spiritual fulfillment, and then they have a physical fulfillment. The spiritual fulfillment here is what Jesus is referring to is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that takes place after the, that Jesus, where it talks about Jesus is glorified. Everything that Christ did for us, His death on the cross opened up the power of His Spirit to give us life. And notice it doesn't say that it's just a cup full or a vessel full, that it is a river, a continual flowing of life coming in and out of those who believe on Jesus. Now here's the thing. The problem with ceremonies are they're pretty but powerless. You know, if all you have is a ceremony and there's nothing behind that, there's no heart in the ceremony, that you miss the message, then if you miss the message, all you have is something that was pretty, but it has no power. If the picture doesn't transfer to the heart, it becomes empty and repetitious. Here's what I want you to get out of that. Some people have made church a ceremony, and that is their relation to God. Think about this. That's why it always needs to be bigger and better. That's why when people go, my life's not right, I need to go to church. What are you saying? That is my relation to the Lord. That is what I identify as my walk with God. How's your walk with God? Mm, Not too good because I hadn't been going to church. Now, I'm not taking away from church, but I'm saying this. If this is your relationship to God, this is what you hold to as, this is how I know the Lord. My walk is good, I'm attending church. My walk is not good, I'm not attending church. That this is where you feel the Spirit. Oh, we walked in there, man. You could just feel the Spirit as if He resides here at this place waiting on everybody to get here on a Sunday morning. That is basing your relationship to God on the ceremony rather than having a true living relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about this. What if I told you that when me and my wife was dating and we decided we wanted to get married? So, let her plan the ceremony, and she goes through all this process, and we do the big to-do, and, and she's got the dress, and I've got the tux, and, and so we meet, and all our friends are there, and our family's there, we have music, and we stare at each other, and, you know, we swap the rings, we say our vows, and after that we got married, I said, you know, that was great, I went back to my house, she went back to her house, you know, once a week I think about her, so I give her a phone call, you said, what, I thought y'all got married. I give her a phone call and be, hey, what's going on? We talk. A couple weeks go by. You know what? I really feel like I'm disconnected. So I call her and say, hey, why don't we go through another wedding? Why don't we have a wedding? Okay. So this time we make it bigger and better. You know, we want to feel close to each other. So she gets a bigger dress and I get a bigger tux and, and we foo-foo our hair up and more makeup and more people and we get more people involved and this time we've got an orchestra and, and everything's better. And so we have that wedding ceremony. I'm like, man, did you feel that? I mean, I feel so close to you. I love you so much. I go back to my house. She go back to her house. 
couple weeks go by, she like calls me, I don't answer. We decide we need another wedding ceremony. And on and on the process goes. We change it a little each time. You know, this wedding ceremony wasn't exciting. I really don't feel as close as you. Y'all understand where I'm going with this. And you keep going through this process. Well, then now, now, well, you know what? I think the wedding ceremony is too fancy. We dress up too much. And so what we're going to do is we're going to down it a little bit. We're going to dress in comfortable clothes. And, and we're going to have, you know, a simple cake. And, and we're going to have a bunch of rednecks playing guitars and that kind of stuff. And we're going to see how that does. And so everything goes. You say, what kind of marriage is that? It's the same kind of marriage that people have with Christ. We go through another Sunday. Hey, with this Sunday, we need something new, something different, something shorter, something longer, something fancy, dress less, dress more. You know, ceremony, ceremony, let's have more ceremony. Hey, what if we, I need to get a wedding ceremony two, three times a week. I don't know about you men, but after a little bit, I'll be like, this is miserable. Because all it is is just get dressed up, let's be somebody I'm not, let's go here, let's say a bunch of words, let's do a bunch of things, and then let me get back to my life. And we do that with the church. I just described a lot of people's relationship to the Lord. I would not have a, a, a marital relationship with her in that sense. And there's a lot of people who look to this time, this ceremony. And sometimes we go two or three times a week to ceremonies. So that we can feel like we have a relationship with the Lord. And you miss the whole point. Now that ends up becoming very empty and very dry. You know what happens when people have that? Sooner or later, they quit coming to the wedding ceremony. Sooner or later, they drop out of church and they get less. And well, I just didn't get anymore. And here's nothing. And here's what happens: you start going to another wedding ceremony. That'll get you in trouble with your marriage. But, but with the Lord, like, let's go try another church. Maybe it'll be better. Maybe the preacher will be greater. Maybe the songs will be gooder. Maybe I'll feel more. You know, and we'll do it there for a while. And the next thing you see, those people are like, ah, I just kind of fell out of church. Are you a Christian? Oh yeah. <laughs> really. You know, maybe you are, maybe you're not. I'll let you judge, but I would take great concern in my heart if I just described your relationship with the Lord because that's a relationship with a church, not the Lord. Um, I'll leave here and go to the house with my wife, amen? And so here's the thing. These people have been doing this for centuries. You know, they knew everything about it. And there was probably people who were like here this morning, standing there in the crowd with hands in the pot go, Ah, it's just about over the priest going up there with the water fixing to dump it out. We're going to cheer and we're going to go home. And so all of a sudden in this, everything that this ceremony pointed to was the person of Jesus. Everything that this ceremony points to is the person of Jesus. I'm not here to go, you need to go to church more. You need to read the Bible more. You need to pray more. I'm here to go, you need to know Jesus. It's what this is all about. If you don't know Jesus, you're missing the whole point. There's going to be some people that when they die and they and they stand before the Lord and he explains that to them, they're like, what are you talking about? I missed the whole point. I usually missed it. You don't want to miss it. And so in this, get this picture. Everybody's looking at the priest. The water's being poured out. Some of them were excited. Some of them got it. Some of them are like standing there going, I'll be glad when this is over. And all of a sudden, everybody's seated. All of a sudden, he stands in the crowd. And he, he draws all attention to him. That's what our church should do. All of our attention should be pointed. When people come here, they, just, they walk out going, man, Jesus is awesome. When When you... When you as a witness of Christ walk out of a crowd, people, when you walk away from a conversation, they ought to be like, man, God is real. If it's not in me, it's sure in them. 
And so he stands up and the Bible says he cries out. He lifts himself up on that great feast day. And what does he say? Notice what he says. He said, if anyone thirsts, he didn't say if anyone. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Say, what was he saying there? You know, here's the deal with a ceremony. A ceremony can never quench the thirst of a soul. If you go to church and then you leave and it's nothing that continues in your life through the week. And you're always trying to get a drink from somewhere else. Because if you think about somebody's thirsty, you know, you look back on uh, in the book of Numbers where Moses was leading the people through the wilderness. This is this is what the Feast of Tabernacles was. They would build little huts and stuff. It was a commemorative commemoration of their travels through the wilderness and then on a part of those travels they're going through there there's no water they're in the desert the ground is dry the brown the grass is brown everything is cracking parts there's nothing beautiful there's nothing refreshing there's nothing when you're in a wilderness desert with no water okay and what happens the people start griping and complaining they want to kill Moses Moses goes to the Lord says your people want to drink what I do so the Lord says, take your rod. It's a picture of the cross. We studied this in Sunday school this morning. Take the rod. Walk up on the rock. What does this rock represent? All the way through it, Jesus is referred to as the rock. The rock of stumbling. The rock of offense. The rock of Christ. Upon this rock I will build my church. Moses walked up on the rock. Everybody standing here. What does he do? He takes what represents the cross and he smites the rock. And the rock gushes out water. It's a picture of the death of Jesus, the cross of Jesus Christ through his suffering death, the Holy Spirit bringing life and refreshing the living waters. Okay. And so in that, when Jesus stood up and he cries out, he was saying, this ceremony, this ceremony is not going to give you life. It's not going to quench your thirst. And if you're here and you go to church and you're like, eh, I'm too excited about all that stuff, maybe that you're trying to get a drink from a well rather than the living water that Jesus offered the woman in John chapter 4 when he said, if you would have asked me for water, I would have given you living water and you would never thirst again. And so in this, when you look at your life, your life tells you if you're thirsty. Our lives have signs. Just like if your body is dehydrated, there are signs your lips are cracking, your tongue is swollen. You understand what I'm saying? You're not sweating anymore. You need a drink. When you look at your spirit, it is empty. Your life is pointless. You have terrible relationships. There's nothing going right. No growth, no purpose, no joy, no peace, no satisfaction. It's like you're aimlessly wandering. That's called thirsty. And David said... Lord, we're thirsty in this dry and weary land. And sometimes, even in believers, especially sometimes in believers' lives, we get thirsty. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean like, I'm always joyful, I've always got great peace, I'm always, you know, ready to serve the Lord and I'm full of the Spirit. Mm, no, because you know what I do? I aimlessly wander away from the source of my life. And sometimes God allows us to get thirsty so that we'll come and drink. There's what I would call a holy discontent. Some of you who have been walking with the Lord and you serve the Lord and you go to church and maybe it's, we get thirsty, especially when we've been walking a long time. And you walk a long time. Sometimes God just lets there be dissatisfaction in our lives to go. And I've had that recently where I'm like, Lord, I want more. I'm thirsty because what I've got going is not quenching what's in my soul. 
Jesus said, blessed are those who, th- who hunger and thirst after righteousness for you will be filled. And the more I think this is the way it is, and I'll teach this later tonight if I get a chance in Ezekiel. When you look at a river in Ezekiel, it starts off as a trickle. And as he went farther along, it got ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, and then he said he was swimming in it. That's what God's Spirit wants to do in your life as a believer. When you step into water, okay, the deeper you get, the more that rushing water tries to draw you in that direction. God calls his people deeper and deeper and deeper. That's how you know you're walking in the Spirit. It's like water. Walking in a river that gets deeper and deeper until finally you're just swimming by faith. And he's in control of your life. And you know what? Swimming's a lot better than splashing. And, and here's where I'm at. God wants to call you into that place. Hope, I hope there's a holy discontinuing you where you're not satisfied where you're at. As a believer, you should be content to a point, but never satisfied to go, I've reached the pinnacle. Let me give you a a message this morning. Salvation is not the pinnacle. It's the beginning. It's the trickle. Knowing Jesus, walking with him, seeing him, experiencing him. I'm not just talking about reading more of the Bible. I'm talking about knowing the author. So many people, they don't read their Bible. They don't seek after the Lord. They're not thirsty. And if you hear this morning, God... I'm not really drawn. I'm not really drawn to study God's word. I'm not really drawn to seek the Lord. I don't really want to know Jesus more. Then there's no point in you coming. Because he said, if you're thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, let him come. You know, some people are so filled up with things from everywhere else in the world that there's no thirst in them whatsoever. But there are those that that when you get a little deeper and you walk with the Lord, you're like, this is good. You know, how, how many of you, I'm preaching half my message tonight, but whatever. How many of you have you ever been to one of them godless water parks where everybody's half undressed? You know, that's just my opinion. But if you went there, I hadn't been to one, but if you went there, you know, they, they got the little shallow areas where the kids get out there and they splash and they got some waist deep stuff and then they've got the big super slides and, you know, you lose control. Now, what would you think if you went to the water park and there were grown adults Hundreds of them in the ankle deep water, splashing like, hey kid, get out of the way. You know, that's what most of the church is. You know, I'll be like, man, the reason you paid that big money is so you could get on the super slide, cause this is where it's at. You know, I don't want to do that cause I don't, here I've got control. You know, I'm wet. No, you're not. You're partially hot. You're, this part is sweating. It's not water. And when you're, when you're, you got just enough of Jesus, you're ankle deep in the Holy Spirit that, you know, you gotta kinda try, every Sunday we gotta try to splash a little bit on you. It's almost like sprinkling, Lord help us. We splash a little bit on you, like, alright, but the world's so much on you, it's just, it's not water, it's sweat. And that's what's quenching you. You know what God's like? Come on up to the super slide. Come on up here where you're gonna enjoy your relationship to me. He calls us deeper and deeper. And so if you have a discontent, let God stir you to go, I'm gonna seek the Lord even more. Lord, I need a drink. And so here's the thing. Another thing I want to give you real quick. I'm almost done. Boy, this time flies. Isaiah chapter 55. When Jesus stood up, if you were a Jew, you were very familiar with Isaiah 55 because it is a passage of scripture that talks about the abundant life that you will have through the Messiah. Isaiah 55 and verse 1, he say, remember when Jesus said, as the scripture has said, he who believes in me. He refers to the scripture when the Bible says that. You want to find that scripture. This is one of those scriptures. Isaiah 55 says, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. 
And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself. And notice what it says, in abundance. Talking about a desire to walk with, to know God, to experience God, to have the things that God has promised you, all right? It's the promised land of the believer. Incline your ear. Listen. Come to me. Doesn't just say come to church. It says come to me. Hear and your soul will live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. So when Jesus stood up and he cried out. Everyone there knew what he was claiming. He was saying I'm the, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who has living water. That's why right after that, some of the people said, is this not the prophet that should come? They knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying, I'm the fulfillment of this ceremony. This will only quench your thirst for a second, but if you come to me, I will quench that thirst that's inside of you, and you will have a river. It will be as of a river, the Spirit of God flowing out of your life from the very heart, from the deepest part of you. You're going to have a source of life that's not some cup of wiggly worms, but it's going to be a flowing river a life-giving source, abundant life that Jesus came to give us that we should be so ecstatic and rejoicing over that it spreads out to everybody around us and everybody gets a little wet. Amen? And so in that, notice what he says. Finishing up. You know, if you're here this morning and you look at your life and go, I'd like to have a change. I'd like to have continual joy. I'd like to have continual peace. I would like to have fulfillment in my life. I would love to have purpose in my life. I would love to know my creator in a very up close and personal way. I want to see his hand. I want to hear his voice. I want to be guided by him. I want to see the promises of God's word. I want to see the miracles. I want to see the healing in my family, in my relationships, in my life. I want to see the blessings in the favor of God. That's the drink. And Jesus said, drink up. Don't just take a sip. Come and guzzle. And so in that he says this, he who believes in me, this is where I'm going to finish. There's a lot of people who say, I believe in God. You know, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. We have taken and we've applied the American definition of belief to a, to a biblical word that has no part of the American definition. You know, I could say, I believe in the tooth fairy. I believe in, you know, that chair. I believe, it doesn't mean that I make a mental ascent to go, oh yeah, I believe it's true. Okay, here's the thing. Belief, when you look at it in the scripture, means to put your absolute confidence in, to trust. And here's the thing, you have to trust. If you want to know the Lord and have that, what I'm talking about is, first I have to believe He is who the Bible says He is, because this is our only source to identify who God really is. What other people tell you and what I tell you, if it's not from the Scripture, I don't know anything about God other than what His Word has identified to me. I have to believe this is God, the God of the Bible, who He describes Himself is, who he has revealed himself to us through his person of Jesus Christ. This is the person of God. I have to believe he will do what he has promised he's going to do and that his ways will produce what he said they'll produce. Otherwise, I will never believe. What it means to believe 
would be this. It would mean if I picked out two kids in this room, two junior high boys, for instance, and I said, what are you going to be when you get big? If they said, both of them said, I'm going to be a major league baseball player. Do they really believe that? Let me tell you who believes it. It's not the one who sits on the couch eating Kit Kats and you know, snowball, pink snowballs and sits there watching TV and every once in a while he'll go outside, pitch the ball up, hitting by one of these days I'm going to be a major league baseball. No, you're not. You don't believe that no more than I do. But you take the one who his mom and dad have to go outside at dark and go, that's enough for today. And he's involved in every game and he's watching it on the television and he knows all the stats and he knows the players and he's got the one that he wants to be like and he's going to, you know, I ain't saying I'm into all this, but he's going to the, to the, uh, what do you call that? Select ball. I think we need to have a select church. Select ball. And, and you know what? In his heart, he believes it. Now he might not make it, but he has faith and it's evident by his works of what he truly believes. A Christian or a person can say, do you believe the gospel of Jesus? Do you believe God's right? Oh, yeah, I believe in. They'll just say, I believe in the Lord. I believe he exists. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. But they themselves are the ones who are sitting on a spiritual couch eating bonbons. They're uninterested in God's word. They're uninterested in God's word. They don't pursue the things of God. They don't have a hunger or thirst for righteousness. They don't care if other people are dying and going to hell. They don't go through the, through the work of the word so that they can know it, so they can live it, so they can know who Jesus is. They don't wrestle with God in prayer. They're not willing to sacrifice or give up anything in the physical realm. All they do is come to the ceremony they sit, they halfway listen, they go on about their business, and a lot of them don't even do that much, and you ask them and they'll go, yes, I am a Christian. That's why America is a Christian nation of 80% professions and a nation that's going to hell in a handbasket. But you look at the ones who say, yes, I believe, the Bible is very clear, that it should be evident in my life because that spirit that is within me, is going to overflow out of me like a river. You're going to see the life of Christ in me, through me, around me. It's going to affect everybody that I'm around. Yes, we go through dry seasons. But for the most part, it's something that took place on the inside of me because I do believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I do believe He is the one and only Savior. I believe with all my heart He died on the cross to die for the punishment of my sin. I believe He was buried and buried my sin with Him. I believe that He rose again on the third day, that He is the King of the universe, the Judge of the universe. He's coming again. He's going to rule and reign, and I'm going to be right there with Him for a thousand years. And then there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, where we'll rule and reign with Christ for all eternity God is good I believe that willing to give my life for it whatever it takes that's what I believe and in that God has kept it I, I, I'm not exalting myself but I'm exalting Jesus go he's given me what he's promised the spirit of God within inside of me something that is supernatural that I can't produce that church can't produce that ceremonies won't produce it is amazing and if you don't have that this morning listen to me God said trust in me don't go through a ceremony of, yeah, I'm going to go up front and, and pray the prayer and see what happens. It's not a Christian. A Christian says, I believe. I believe. I believe this. My life shows that I believe it. If you believe that getting rich will make you happy, I guarantee you I can pick out the ones who believe that. Because you give everything that you can give to try to attain that. If you truly believe this Bible, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna live it. 
You're going to seek it. You're going to pursue it. You're going to want to know it. You're going to seek the author of it. You're going to want it deeper. And God's like, come on a little deeper. Come a little deeper. Maybe you're here this morning. You're a believer who you're content with. God's like, come a little deeper because you don't know half of what you think you know. And you just test me, try me, see if I won't meet you where you're at. Not about, well, I'm going to try to do better. I'm going to try to go here more. I'm going to try to do this more. I'm going to try to stop that. Why don't you try to come to Jesus? If you, with all your heart, seek the Lord, he said, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. You know, there's a lot of people in this country, there's a lot of people in this church, I think that we come to a place where we go, man, if I was honest, I am so thirsty. I want something that is real. Besides this whole going through this process, then, then listen to God's voice going, then come on out into the water. Come on out, go deeper. Put your whole heart, listen to, we put our, I'm going to finish right here. We'll put our whole heart into the things that we love. How many of you just want to be a parent who just had a kid? I had a kid, I'm a parent. What about the kid? Who cares? You don't do that. You work your whole life to give that kid everything that you can possibly give him. You want him to know that you love him all that you are if you're a good parent. You'll sacrifice. You'll, 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 you'll go to crazy events and sit there in the sun all day long for that kid to stand up there and chase grasshoppers in the field. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know why? Because you want to be the best parent you can be. You want to be the best this or the best that. The things that you love, you don't just halfway go into it. My question is, do you really love Jesus? Why do we go like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I just, I made a profession. That's it. Hmm, come on. Come on. And then you're the ones who sit there and go, what's the big deal? And be like me going, I'm a parent. I gave my kid away. What's the big deal? I wouldn't experience all the amazing things that I experienced raising my kids, toiling, sacrificing, and the joy that I have in my heart going, that was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. It's still going. It'll go from now on. Amen. Why don't we do that with the Lord? Why don't we go, you know what? Maybe I don't know what I think I know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't know what he's willing to do in my life as I continue to pursue him. And we'll talk about this tonight, how this works. God's got a way that he does things in your life that you will look up and go, that was absolutely one of the most awesome experiences I've ever had in my life. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I'm not asking you to go through a ceremony. I'm asking you to, to come to him. You be honest with him. Maybe you're here this morning and go, I'm, I'm thirsty. Man, then pursue the Lord. Pursue him with all your heart. Quit sitting on your own righteousness. Go, I want to, I don't want to know the Baptist Jesus or any other. I want to know this Jesus. And whatever he leads me to, that's who I want to know. And that's what Christianity is about. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? We'll give you a chance to respond if you need to. Lord, I love you. And thank you so much, God, that you are so good to us, Lord. You love us so much and all that you do to bring the message of hope to us. What you did to accomplish our salvation. What you did so that we could have eternal life. Abundant life, Lord. The healing that you offer. The restoration. The forgiveness. All of those things that your death accomplished for us. And that it's about coming to you. Lord, I pray there be people today that come to you. And God, they find that drink that they've been searching for that nothing else can satisfy. Lord, I pray you give us a heart that longs after you. Lord, to know you, to fellowship with you, to walk with you, to see you. God, that we would pursue you. Lord, and we would see the 
the amazing life that comes from that, Lord. I pray you would use this church in a mighty way. God, that you'd fill us with your spirit and the world would see a difference in us, Lord, that would draw them to you. Lord, I pray for someone here that's lost today, Lord, they'd leave saved and changed forever in Jesus' name. Amen.